Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. On this week's episode, we take you back to the stage at SaaS.West Coast in September of 2019, where we're joined by Dan Martell, who is a coach to high-performing SaaS founders and a five-times founder himself with three exits. And Dan talks to us about the important topic of retaining top talent. Great keynote from Dan that really kind of translates well to audio. And he gives you uh, the links to all the templates that are used as well uh, throughout the talk um, at the end of the talk. So uh, a great uh, keynote for those that are interested in people and retaining top talent. So let's uh, leave it to Dan and now on with the show. Today, I want to talk about retaining top talent. So I want to ask you the question, why is it so hard to retain talent? Think about that. Why is it so hard to retain talent? For you and your team, if you have somebody that's an A player, maybe you're just starting off and you have two or three employees, or you might have 50. But this is the question to me that's really important to ask yourself, because as Chris just mentioned, culture at a certain level, you build the people and the people build the business. Right? And that's just a that's the path of all scaling SaaS companies. Yes, you need to have product market fit, and you need to figure out your growth engine, but at a certain level, you need to develop your people and they will build the business. What you're probably experiencing is a few things. Maybe you've got crap culture, right? And, it's, and it, at, at the beginning, sometimes you think that's what it's supposed to be like. We fight, we argue, we're passionate, but that doesn't mean you have to be disrespectful, right? Or you have people that you know are talented, they were talented, they were focused, and all of a sudden you feel like they're disconnected. You really can't put your finger on it, but you just see that there's something that's shifted. Or um, you wake up one Monday morning and you get an email from one of your top you know, direct reports and they've decided to go take another job, right? If you've ever had that experience, it's like getting punched right in the gut. It takes everything out of you. What I wanna share with you guys today, my promise is, is Three things. One, I want to show you how to create teams that are driven and focused and passionate about outcomes. Two, I want to give you a strategy for keeping a pulse on your team so you don't have any surprises. And three, I want to show you how to get them bought in. What I mean by bought in is these are people that if you went on vacation for two weeks and you came back, you would be blown away by the amount of progress that they made, not because you asked them to, just because that is their default state. And it's possible. I've had the privilege of hiring over 500 people for the companies that I've built myself. And across all of my investment companies and clients that I coach, I've got about 20,000 people that I've indirectly affected, teaching them the strategies to retain their top talent. If you do this right, your business dramatically changes. Just think about it. What would it look like in your company if you never lost an A player? You never had to retrain somebody, explain somebody the vision, like just continuity. I've heard a lot of really smart people talk about this. Continuity is a competitive advantage. Your customers, if they're interacting with an account manager that's a rock star, they don't want to meet somebody new. They would love to keep working with that person, right? So just your ability to retain the, the star players is a competitive advantage in your business. So how do we do that? Three things, three hot principles. Number one, retention hooks. So I believe that there's, and, and this is based on some research by Jeffrey uh, Smart. He wrote a book called uh, Who? It's about recruiting, and he talks about the five Fs of retention, okay? And I call these retention hooks. This is a core belief. Nobody quits a company, they quit their boss, okay? If you have somebody that, that 
leaves a company, they didn't leave because the, the company as a whole made them decide to start looking around. It's because the person they reported to um, didn't lead them the way they were hoping to to be able to stick around. So these five, the retention hooks, these are ordered by priority in regards to what's most important based on the research for your employees, okay? So number one, fit, okay? Is their role aligned with their aspiration and where they wanna be in the organization? And if you don't ask, they won't tell you. Sometimes you'll hire somebody, I, I've seen this very often with my clients, where they'll hire an engineer that's really talented and they feel like, well, there's a natural progression, we need somebody to now lead the engineering team and they promote that person, only to find out that that person hates managing people and they'd rather be a sole contributor because that's where they were happy. So fit is the first thing that people look at. Number two, family. Does this, does this work and the way I do it, does it align with my lifestyle, right? Does it allow me to have some level of an integrated life? I don't believe in balance. I believe, especially if you're a startup, you're gonna put in you know, some extra hours in the early days, but is it sustainable and does it align with the commitments I've made to the people I care about the most? Because that's where there's conflict in, in, in your top A players. And th again, they'll never tell you this if you don't ask. Number three is freedom. A players want the ability to solve problems. They do not want to be told how to solve problems. They want to be told clearly where the outcome is that you want to achieve, but they don't want to be told the, the how. That's what makes it fun for them is solving these problems. Four is fortune. Most people put fortune as number one. It's not. Fortune's number four in regards to the priority, okay? You're, now, you need to be competitive in the market. You need to make sure that um, you're not underpaying, because that's another symptom I've seen where people hire interns, they pay them very little, and as soon as a person realizes what they're really worth on the market, you know, it's just a pure logic, because it conflicts with family and freedom. If they know that they could work the same amount of hours, making more money, and have more um, vacation and resources, then they're gonna go look for another job. And the number five is fun. And this is the corporate culture, these are the perks, this is the rest of it, but in regards to priority, and this is from the book Who, uh, fit, family, freedom, fortune, and fun. These are the retention hooks. So ask yourself on a scale of one to 10, for your team, especially for your direct reports, how well are you doing for them as a leader? My journey is probably similar to a lot of you uh, entrepreneurs out there is when I started, I didn't understand what true leadership meant, okay? I had some bad habits. I had the habit of coming in every day and changing the roadmap. Anybody can resonate with that one a little bit, right? So crazy founders, I call it, you know, we essentially create whiplash for our team. I had the, the, the bad habit of expecting people to read my mind, right? Like, why don't they see this the same way? That's not what I asked them to do. Why is it not being done the right way? And I used to get frustrated with my team. And one day I realized that if I continue to feel this way about the people that are essentially running the different areas of the business, and Sphere Technology is a company I started when I was 24, so I had two failed companies before I finally figured this stuff out. Um, halfway through that, I had two essentially executive leaders that work directly, uh, working for me that just quit within the same three weeks. And the issue was, that I realized, is that if I didn't change the way I showed up as a leader, I would never grow, I would stall out, always. Think about that, if every six months you lose one or two of your top leaders, how are you, possible, how are you possibly gonna be able to grow and build that, that growth engine? Um, and what I realized is I had to go look in the mirror. So all this stuff is tactical, 
But at the core of it, it's going to be you showing up as a leader for them. So I call this servant leadership. There's four levels. And this is the problem in the Valley is, you know, a lot of them, they, they, they're, they're title leaders. I'm the boss. Maybe you've worked for somebody like this. Okay, that's the lowest level of leadership. I'm the boss, do what I say. The other one is the trader. This is Silicon Valley at its best. If you do this, I will pay you that. I will give you stock options, et cetera. The next level, the third level, which is where we all want to show up every day, is from a servant leadership. I come to work to serve my team. They do not work for me, I work for them. My job is to unblock them, to create those five retention hooks in their life so that they feel fulfilled in their work. And if we can ever get, maybe there's moments of the top level of leadership, which is called spiritual, I mean, that's when all of a sudden we're talking Gandhi, Mother Teresa, et cetera, where our values and our leadership approach inspires people we'll never, ever meet. Does that make sense? So it's something we should always remember that the spiritual leader has impact even outside of our organization. Um, so that's what we aspire to. But the truth is, let's just start with the servant leadership. So I had to learn that internally if I wanted to grow the company. And luckily, the company, after I learned all these skills, I hired a coach, worked with him. Eventually, the company grew by about 150% year-over-year compounded, and we got acquired. It didn't look like that in the first two years. I was struggling, and I was angry. Number two, scoreboard rules. If you do not clearly explain to your team how the game is played, they will get frustrated as hell. So imagine I say, hey, we're going to play this game. I mean, you guys could probably resonate. Some of you guys actually know, but cricket. Imagine if I didn't tell you how the game of cricket played, and I still don't get it. And all of a sudden, you're playing against somebody else on this other team, and they're just like, I win. And you're like, screw this. Well, how did you win? What did you do? I don't understand what you just did. And they're just like, I win again. You're like, hey, this is, this is shitty. I'm not doing this anymore. They're like, one more time. And you play, and like three minutes later, I win. It's like, OK, well, this is dumb. But we're doing this every day to our team. We're not giving them clear directions and saying, hey, here are the rules of engagement. Here's how this game is played. Here's what I value. Here's how you're going to be rewarded. Right? And if people don't have that, then they're going to leave and look for some place where they understand. Like People want to play on winning teams. Okay? So if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. This is Peter Drucker. If we don't have a scoreboard, what I call a precision scorecard, if we don't have a way to keep score that our team understands what activities they're responsible for to move that number, then we can't manage them and they won't feel fulfilled, right? People want to win. So three core principles around the precision scorecard. Number one is you have to have a forecast. I was talking to a client this morning, 5.4 million in ARR. He has no forward-looking projections in his business. Good news, you can be pretty successful with no projections. But if you want to grow really fast, you need to have that built into your culture. So forecasting the targets, okay? I need to know where I want to be so I can break it down and know if I'm on track. Number two, every core part of your business should have somebody that's owned, like somebody owns that area. So there's five core area, or six core areas of SaaS business. Somebody should own it. If you're only a team of two, maybe you split them up. But somebody needs to own it, and you've got to give them the keys to that area of the business and hold them accountable to the numbers. And then three, as they're doing the work, you need to give them a feedback loop to know if they're making progress. That's on a weekly basis. Okay? It's part of the weekly sync. So the scorecard for me is always a projection of where we wanted to be, work backwards, somebody own the number, and then track it on a weekly basis. Are we making progress towards that? Because if we're in the first week of the month and our goal is 10 at whatever number, and we're at one for the first week and there's only three weeks left, I am off pace. Does that make sense? 
This is basic stuff. When you watch baseball or soccer, et cetera, it's kind of obvious how people are scoring. Your team need to know the same thing. One of my clients, uh, Anthony um, and Emily, they were Inc. 91, fastest growing company. They had no optics, nothing. And they're like, hey, Dan, how do, how do we continue this growth? Because I feel like the wheels are going to fly off the car. And I said, well, do you guys do a weekly meeting? They're like, no. I was like, well, we could start there. They had about 40 staff. They're like, well, what's in the weekly meeting? And I walked through it and I said, well, you need a scorecard. Well, what's a scorecard? And I walked them through that process and they're like, holy shit, I don't have that. All we've got is a bunch of spreadsheets. We've got some data. Marketing usually has some good uh, optics, but no other area of the business. So I'll share with you guys how to build this, but this is the precision scorecard, okay? Six core functions of a SaaS business, product, engineering, marketing, sales, customer success, ops, and admin. And every one of them should have three core metrics that you follow to know if the person that owns that area is on track. Number three, core for retention is momentum meetings, okay? I call this sometimes the company OS. Every business has an operating system for how they deliver or drive outcomes in their organization. And the only tool we have as a CEO or a founder are meetings, which sucks, because we all probably come from corporations where meetings suck, and I agree. But that's all you got, okay? So I'm gonna talk about five specific meetings, but the first four, okay? So leaders who de develop their teams the fastest grow the fastest. This is a universal truth. If you wanna grow faster, you gotta develop your team faster. And that comes from you. The four core meetings, there's two that are status driven. If you're not doing these, you need to add them to your repertoire. This is the operating system of the business. Number one is your daily stand-ups. Every day, if you wanna keep it simple, what are your three big rocks you're gonna work on today and are you stuck? Your job as a leader is to unstuck the stuck stuff. Pretty straightforward, right? If my team says I'm stuck because right now Facebook's pixel's not firing and there's no conversion data, I've escalated and I don't know what to do next. As a leader, your job is to help that person solve that problem, right? The other status meeting is a weekly meeting. This is a sync. This is the, the pulse, the heartbeat of the organization, and that's the meeting where you review the scorecard to know if all the different areas of the business are on track. Strategic meetings are different. So minimum you should be doing quarterly, which resets the future of the next 90 days and also looks at the previous 90 days. And then the other one is the offsite yearly planning session. Okay, And this is where we look at a 10-year vision, three-year targets, and a one-year goal for the business. Okay? And we need to do that. And this is predominantly with your executive leadership team. The fifth type of meeting is, is probably the most important, and it's your one-on-ones. And most people are saying, well, I'm only a dozen people. I don't need a one-on-one. -on -one. If you have 12 direct reports, you're doing it wrong. You should never have more than seven. And I asked this. Travis Kalanick was an investor in my company, Flowtown. They were 5,000 employees in four years. Travis, how the hell did you grow the business so fast? He said, I've only ever had seven direct reports. Nothing changes. I just got to make sure those people have management bandwidth and I support them and I coach them and they'll take care of the rest of the organization. And the cool part is what you do with your direct reports, they'll do with their direct reports. So we've got three OGs of the SaaS space, Ben Horowitz, uh, Andy from Intel, Andy Grove, and Jason from Saster. All three of them, either in their books or in person, have said one-on-ones are the most powerful things. Andy Grove dedicated a whole chapter in his book, High Output Management, to it. And Jason Lemkin said, if, you know, or I think it was Ben Horwitz saying that in his book, if his managers didn't do one-on-one, -on -one, he would fire them. Okay? The problem is, what do you do in your one-on-one? So I'm going to give you guys the whole planner. Literally, you list direct reports, and then you focus on those four core areas. Connection, inspiration, alignment, and feedback. If you remember that, you can have one-on-ones as you're walking down a hallway using those four categories.
Okay? But this is your opportunity to coach. That's what a lot of leaders forget. They're just so performance driven, status projects, unblocking, but they don't say, hey, what are the skills we need to develop to get you to the next level so that you can grow? Anyways, I'm out of time. Three takeaways, make sure you have your retention hooks, your rules in place for understanding how to play the game, and a process for coaching your leadership team. As I mentioned, if you want the agendas for the four meetings, the scorecard with all the key metrics pre-1 millionaire and post-1 millionaire, and the one-on-one -on -one meeting format, you can go to this link, uh, Sastock West Coast 2019, and I'll send them all to you so you guys can work on them on your team. And that is how you retain top talent. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show featuring Dan Martell. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you rated and reviewed us on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps other founders, execs like yourself uh, discover the podcast uh, to help them learn how to grow their businesses. Dan spoke at two SaaStock conferences last year, SaaStock West Coast and SaaStock 19 in Dublin. We will be running five conferences in 2020 in five continents uh, to see the full calendar. Go to sasdop.com forward slash events and see where you can learn from the likes of Dan and others uh, in order to help you get traction, grow and scale your businesses. So that's sasdop.com forward slash events. We'll see you next time.